Middle Chamber Books Podcast Number 18, Temple Emmanuel Podcast Number 7, for March 2nd, 2009. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Middle Chamber Books Podcast. In this program, we present a workshop discussion with Dr. Richard Selznick, the author of The Shutdown Learner, Helping Your Academically Discouraged Child. This program was recorded on March 1st, 2009, in a workshop session at Temple Emanuel Reform Synagogue in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And we are cross-posting this podcast to the Temple Emanuel podcast series, as well as the Middle Chamber Books podcast. The Temple Emanuel podcasts are found at templeemanuel.org, and the Middle Chamber Books podcasts are found at our website, middlechamberbooks.com. Hello and welcome to the Middle Chamber Books podcast, brought to you by GoToMyPC. I'm Steve Lubetkin, the bookseller at Middle Chamber Books. I'm your host for these podcasts, in which we talk about books, authors, and other creative artists. Our bookstore is an Amazon.com associate. We're located at middlechamberbooks.com. Richard Selznick is a psychologist, a nationally certified school psychologist, a graduate school professor, and a director of the Cooper Learning Center at Cooper University Hospital in Voorhees, New Jersey. The Cooper Learning Center is the leading program in the region, offering not only assistance with children, but also parent and teacher training programs. Dr. Selznick also functions as a school consultant, and throughout the year he speaks to numerous parent groups, schools, and regional conferences on topics such as dyslexia, shutdown learners, and ADHD. His new book is The Shutdown Learner, Helping Your Academically Discouraged Child. More information about the book and about the concept of the shutdown learner at shutdownlearner.com. The workshop program with Dr. Selznick runs about an hour and a half. Pleasure to be here back at uh, my old stomping grounds, Temple Emanuel. Been at many, many, many meetings around the table. This book, The Shutdown Learner, we're going to talk about kids who have been discouraged in school. I'm part of Cooper Hospital. Um, we're part of the Department of Pediatrics, which is kind of an unusual arrangement. There aren't that many hospital uh, programs that have reading teachers and a reading program. And I'm, you know, I do, I do testing, a lot of testing and assessments and evaluations. Psychologists, and we, we provide services actually here at Temple Emanuel in the summer. We have a great summer reading program that um, we use the, the wing down, you know, in the uh, education wing. And we also provide services to schools when they contract with us. So that's just kind of a nutshell. All right, so, so the prototype shutdown learner, in my mind, is about a 15-year-old or 16-year-old child who basically comes into my office, and he's kind of like this. And he's basically communicating, you know, like, I, I can't say it on a podcast because I'll get, like, you know, I'll get in trouble, you know, F you, whatever, um, you're an a-hole. I, don't, I mean, my, I'm make, painting that for a little bit of comedy, you know, a little to make it lighter. I like to make people laugh as much as I can, even though I'm not a comedian. Um, you know, the kid is turned off. He's disconnected. That, if you write down one word and, and underline it, that disconnected and discouraged are really the two that that come to mind for me, disconnected and discouraged. Now, 
And I've tried, you know, it's funny because I could access in my mind any number of very real shutdown learners who I've known now over the years, some of whom are now kind of friends of mine. I've, I met them 20 years ago. So they're, they're in the book. I mean, this, I mentioned a, a person named Scott, the guitarist. I met him when he was 15, and he was a, a kid. But they've tracked with me in my mind of, or some, some I've kept in touch with. And they, they, they share a lot of these characteristics, but they disconnected and discouraged relative to school is a big one. There are two essential styles I've also picked up on. And this is important because it, when I first started to work on this, and this book was the longest gestation period, no, it's not a very big book, as you can see. I mean, this is not like, you know, the you know, history of the Jews, you know. <laughs> We're talking about a little book with a lot of cartoons. It took me forever. It really did. It took me forever. If anybody ever wants to talk about the editing, pro I mean, publishing process, you know, feel free to call me. I'll go over that with you. But... Um, I was primarily writing this about male boys, males, and I had a tough time shifting my thinking because the first person who read through the file on this when it was in the informal state said, what about the girls? And I was like, yeah, but they're mostly boys in my head. They're, they're boys. And she said, well, yeah, but what about the girls? And then the girls started to come into the office. It was almost like the universe asked for them. Okay, here they are. And there's a different prototype that struck me with the girls. And I call them, very scientifically, Style two. So you have style one and then you have style two. <sighs> style one are what we're talking about here. They tend to, the style one boys are a little, little angrier. They're a little bit more FU-ish. They're a little bit more like, you know, I, don't, I really don't want to be here to teach, that kind of kid. And these things do come in more mild, moderate, and, you know, extreme packages. They're not just like, you know, like a, a broken bone. Yes, no. It's mild, moderate, severe. So the style two, though, I think of them as the field hockey girls. You know, you know what I had this girl who came into my office not too long ago, you know, star of the team, involved in the clubs, very engaged, very, you know, everybody thinks she's wonderful. And then I went to test. And lo and behold, I turned to the mom and said, did anybody ever tell you she had a reading problem? Like a real one? And the, te the mom's like, well, no. Um, because we've been really focusing on the sports and the clubs and a lot of these other things and gregarious, but um, underneath is a real insecurity that's being kind of covered up, okay? So you have both, they're not as disconnected, if you see what I'm saying. They're not as, they don't present to the school as a real, in that classic, what I'm thinking of, shutdown learner prototype. Um, but but they're, they're as real in my mind right now. Questions, comments, I don't want to just, when the coffee kicks in, I could really go on, and I don't want to do that. Baba. Do you see boys that are type two and girls that are type one? Yes. Yes. And, you know, with broad brushing, you know the problem with that. You know, generalizing. So the, they heard the question, right, Steve? The question was, would you see uh, boys as also, could the girls become type one, vice versa? And Absolutely. And, and, you know, you could see certainly the, you know, angry, turned-off girls and disconnected. So, sure, it could go both ways. I'm more broad-brushing with, with these. Is it a timeline where the type 2 becomes the type 1? Yes. Is there a timeline with the type, with the more, yes, and that's something we'll talk about. Um, do the more, um, could you see a kind of pleasant enough third grader, for example, who's pretty positive about school, still not feeling it? Still not feeling very disconnected. Yeah. 
the concern is that by seventh and eighth grade, they're feeling it and they're, they're frustrated. And I want to make point out that the purpose of this workshop, obviously, if we can, would be to prevent a shutdown learner. It's a, it, try to think, and there are things I'm going to try to tell you along the way that maybe hopefully can do that. You know, we're trying to have a preventative mindset on this. The converse of that example, you have experiences with someone early on who is the type one, and yeah. there's some interventions, and then seems to be going down the type two path, but it's somewhat masked because they're happier, they're doing somewhat better in in some of the disciplines or the, the components of the reading. So, yeah, you know, I'm, just, I'm having a little trouble uh, understanding fully the. When someone comes and presents early on, let's say kindergarten, first grade, as a type one, right? Um, I mean, a, a little bit more disconnected, yeah, and, and unmotivated interventions, but then seemingly follows more the track too, right? And it's almost as though that yeah, mask that mask. Yeah, with. that's a good point too. Yes, does you know? Can you, in a sense, mask um, by by making things better? The kids a little more connected, and you're you're covering up certain confidence level. Yeah. You know, let me remember that the prototype of the type one shutdown learner is a 15, 16 year old person. They didn't typically start this way. Let's, and I want to get into that in a couple of seconds. They didn't start out by and large. I'm not saying you don't have, I've certainly have met some difficult preschoolers. Trust me. I know there's some very challenging preschoolers out there. And we've been doing a workshop. I've been doing a parenting workshop here at Temple Emanuel over the last six weeks on pretty much this topic. Most of the type one shutdown learner styles didn't start out that way. They were pretty okay. I'm going to talk about it in a second. I want to turn the clock back on these kids in a minute. So hopefully you'll see that as we go. Just an, I'm thinking of <clears throat> students that I've worked with, and I can think of a couple of girls in particular that look like they just want to become part of the wall, their hair down, covering right. their eyes. They're shy. I wouldn't say they're gregarious. And right. I wouldn't say they're angry. They just want to be invisible. That's a great way to put it. I think that's, that could well fit the characteristics. And I want to point out, when we go over the profile here a little bit with the shutdown learner, please, if your child, try to stay away from the thinking, oh, this is not my child. You know, that's the problem with labeling anything. I've tried to make this a labeling, and not an anti-labeling book, but I'm not a fan of like, oh, does he have ADHD? Does he have this, D, that, D? It's just not my style as a psychologist. I try, and the book really talks about this, to describe the kids' strengths and weaknesses. So if, if your child or the child of concern that you're talking about, whether it's professionally or as a, you know, as a parent, doesn't exactly overlap you know, with a template of the shutdown learner, there's still hopefully pieces of something in the book, wisdom hopefully or something or experience that you could kind of, you know, that applies. I could make, that, that makes sense. I had a great experience recently. This is one of the best reasons to write a book. Out of the blue, I got an email from a person in San Francisco who said the book's changed your life. I'm like, are you kidding me? You took me seriously? Really? Wow. You read it? She's like, we've had the best week of homework ever. I'm like, you did? I'm writing her back. Oh, that's unbelievable. I didn't think that would happen. You know, it, it, you never know. So try to, you know, I don't know. I never met her kids, so I don't know what her kids fits the profile or doesn't fit the, fit the profile. All right. Other questions before I move on to the next part of it? You sure? Are we doing okay? All right. Here are some of the hallmark features, and this is important. 
underneath the style of both kids is a kind of characteristic or a set of characteristics that I think are really important relative to school-based issues. With most of the kids that I've worked with over the years, they fit this. I call them Lego kids. Think about it. What comes to mind when you see it? When I'm going to ask you right off front. What's a Lego kid mean to you? If I say that your kid's a Lego kid, what does that mean? Say again? Yeah, why? Why? Because they're antisocial? No, they like to build. They like to build. Why? They're successful at it. Why? I'm going to keep pushing it. They're in control. There are no great rules. That's great. Makes them feel good. Why? There's an yeah. It's a project-based kind of thing. What else? It's creative. Yeah. Well, some of it not so. I'm afraid my voice. I don't, you know, God. Some of it may it may be instant gratification, but some of these kids that are building these Lego cities that I see, boy, they're spending a whole week on this thing. You should see some of the pictures I get, some of the photos. I'm like, wow. Because I ask kids to bring in the photos of the stuff they're, they're, they're making. Because they like, you know, wow, here's my city. I'm built. It could be really elaborate. So it may not be instant gratification, although that could be part of it. Doctor? I was going to say, couldn't you translate that over to an older child? And it be Absolutely. And you might be somebody around the table. I mean, Steve Lubeckin, who I've known for many years, he might be. He's a techno guy. <laughs> He's a, he's, a, he's a techno guy, and he's, a, and he's a money guy. He's a businessman. And I, and I list in the back of the book professions that tend to sort of pull for shutdown learner styles. And what you see in the little Lego kid, yeah, now he's, now he's, now he's, now he's going to buy a book. Now, Mr. Lebeckin, Le, 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 $16 for you, Mr. Lebeckin. Yes, that's a great point, Donna. You know, you see these kids who at five were thriving building Legos. And later on, they're either computer-based or they're outdoor kids. There's a picture in the book that, to me, if you have the book close by, is the total prototype of this. And this is a very real kid on page 28. I met a kid many now many years ago. His name's Brian. He lives pretty close by. I, I should really contact the mom. In this, in this picture, this kid would come into my office. He was in middle school at the time. And he came into my office, and the mom said, you know what this kid does? She said they had like a garage. And he would build by himself these elaborate terrariums. He'd go out to the pond and collect frogs and toads and insects and bugs and, you know, the, you know, the, plants and everything that you needed to do to build. And he had many terrariums going. And they were very elaborate. Guess what kid hated science? And that picture describes this kid. And it struck that he was one of my inspirations. It was like, wow, how could a kid who's so kind of alive with scientific imagination be so turned off? You know? So these are... I'm going to have to ask for some water from somebody because I have kind of a chest cold thing, and it's that would be great. Thanks. The coffee's just not really doing the trick. Thanks, Robert. Um, so underneath this, which you guys didn't necessarily say in terms of um, 
the, the character, the Lego kid, is a style, you might want to put this down, a visual spatial orientation style. These are more visually based kids. Most of us are either, think of it this way, most of us are either language-based primarily or we're more visually based. I happen to know as a psychologist, guess what? Did I go into this field because I'm visually based and I like to put things together? No. I may have thought about this a lot. Yeah, I can't help it. Every kid I test, oh, it's just like me, not like me. Huh? You know, it's my guy, my neurotic profile, not my neurotic profile. This is my disability, not my disability. You know, you can't help it. It's a shame with this field; it's constantly in your face. You know, these are like my kids, not like my kids. My kids really don't know what they're doing. They do know what they're doing. Oh, it's never ending. But the visual style kid. Um, so you're either one more so or the other. The lucky people among us, and you might be one of them, have both. They're the ones that I tend to think of as more gifted, like real gift. You know, they've got the great with the block design patterns and the visual patterns, and they're also really good verbally, and they could read well and process information. So, But the shutdown learner styles tend to be more loaded on the visual spatial, okay? To sit still, do they have some sensory integration? Yes. You know, uh, for lack of a better term, my grandma would say spielkis. They can't sit in their Yeah, seat. you know, this term sensory integration is one of these terms that I am still kind of like mixed about. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't. I know it exists. I just get confused with it myself. I tend not to think of the shutdown learners as having sensory integration problems because they are pretty visual and spatial and hands-on and active. So I don't usually think of them in those terms, but I'm sure there are some that are like that. Say it's like spielkis. They can't. They're not a sit-still, you know, sit-in-their-seat kind of kid. Yeah, yeah, and we are going to talk in a second about the early, early cracks in the foundation. So I'm going to, try, I'm going to take you into preschool and kindergarten for a second. We're going to run you through. Um, let me stay on. So these are high spatial kids. They're Lego kids. They thrive with visual tasks like that kid Brian I'm telling you about. And they tend not, this is the important part, over time, they tend not to be great with reading, spelling, writing, or other language-based activities. They tend not to be great with those. They might read okay. Reading problems occur. I could talk forever on reading problems. It's like my core specialty. Reading problems tend to occur on a mild, moderate, or severe basis. So you could be mild enough, not be picked up on by the special ed teams, child study teams, but have mild enough reading problems or spelling problems that they're there. Think of it as cracks in the foundation. And these, over time, lean to turned off and discouraged kids and depleted moms, which we'll talk about soon. Moms that are just burned out. I'll talk about why not to dance. And often strained patterns of, <laughs> often strained patterns of family communication. It's Greg's. He's like, oh, I heard enough of it already anyway. Yeah, I'm zoning out. Enough cells in the guitar, you know. That's why the guys, they're like, ugh, I heard enough already. I'm just teasing you, Greg. Um, questions about this style, about this particular, this is the core, you know? You, do you see it? You guys understand what I'm saying? Can you, yeah. How do you distinguish uh, between what is the norm versus... Um, a variation of that norm and a shutdown learner. 
because, you know, it seems like it, you have to develop this over a long period of time to get to the conclusion. Here's the deal. And I'm not uh, pandering or, as they say, sucking up to the women in the room. But I'm about to. <laughs> you trust your wife. You trust the moms. I mean, the moms, by and large, when they, at major stages of development, when the moms come into the office, I've really learned to, you know, what do you think the pediatricians are saying? When you bring your kid at four or five or six, now I'm going to move this along by, we're now shifting with, okay, I want to make sure you understand where I am because it's, we, it segues me into this. We're turning the clock back now. We're going to start with a young shutdown learner, move them on up. So you see the signs at each age and stage, okay? So, Four-year-old kid, you bring your, you bring. Typically, you go to the pediatrician. I work for, with pediatricians. I'm, they're my chief of pediatrics, my boss. What do the pediatricians telling you? You go. You go in with your concerns. Your mom. Keep going. Keep going. They'll grow out of it. Don't worry about it. They'll be fine. Stop being so neurotic. You're a neurotic Jewish woman. You know, there's a lot of that going on in Cherry Hill. It's, a, it's like a disease. Oh, here comes another one. I got another mother, you know. <laughs> another one knocking on my head. Huh? Uh-uh. I'm telling you, no. That it, here, like I know that the PowerPoint doesn't exactly follow, but here, yeah, bottom right. You, as a mom, typically have a sense, and I don't know, intuitive or not, sometimes you're wrong. And you have to, the way to, to do it, and I'm not saying you have to go to Rich Selznick, but the way to do it is typically an outside person who has experience, who, who's assessed a lot of kids over time, and who has both quantified norms as well as eyeball norms. You know, like, I've seen thousands of kids. My gray hair shows it. I'm like, you know, one more coming in. You know, I think my parents, you should have been to med school. You've been a better student. Nah, you know, I, this is my karma. One more kid rolling in. So you have a sense of norm at each age and stage. Sometimes you are. So an outside professional is helpful, but moms do know it. And usually when I go over the testing, well, I knew that already anyway. <laughs> okay, great. You know, I spent three hours trying to size it. Oh, I knew that. <laughs> so that's one place to consider. Think about it that way. The other part of this is, Okay, now we're in the preschool, in the kindergarten. Let's talk about the signs there, and I'll, I'll entertain a question in a second. What do you think the preschool world for, and let's say preschool through kindergarten, is like for our little hero or heroine, so to speak? What do you think it's like? Remember, Lego kids, visual, spatial, you know. What do you think the world is like for them? <laughs> what do you think the world is like for them? In that world, in that environment. I, go, I love doing I love observing preschool, by the way. I love going in there. It's great. It's my favorite activity of the world. It's wonderful. Why? It's all hands-on. Yeah. It's great. The teacher's singing songs. She's running around. You know, kneels, uh, knees and toes, heels, you know, head and shoulders thing, and, you know, whatever it is. They're singing songs. They're running around. They're building. They're, they they're, they're not sitting still. It's active. And I walk over to the teacher. I say, you know what? This is great. But it's such a big setup. What a setup for these poor kids. Yeah, exactly, pow. You know, in first grade, these poor kids don't know what's coming down the pike. 
Worksheets, worksheets, worksheets. And my biggest bugaboo right now in educational worksheets, and you'll see it in my book, worksheeting these kids to death. And before they turn around and in first grade, second grade, these kids are going to be slammed with worksheets. And these poor kids are running around the room having the greatest old time. Now, I'm not saying they don't have spilkus problems. They don't have <laughs> nuji annoying problems. You know, that's not, I'm really not talking about purely a prototype ADHD kid right now, although it could overlap some, you know? So preschool's wonderful. They love it. And one of the problems you have is as a parent, what do you think about your kid? They're brilliant. Look at that. Look at that creativity. I mean, we've got a budding, you know, uh, you know, archi- you know, what's his name? The, uh, not, I'm the Orville Wright of my brain not working here. Uh, Frank Lloyd Wright. <laughs> Orville Wright, whatever. A budding genius. We've got Frank Lloyd Wright, Orville Wright, I don't know. We've got a little Obama, whatever we got on our hands. We've got a genius on our hands. You know? And in a lot of ways you do, because the kid is, op- that should tell you as a mommy, because bright. I don't care what the rest of the testing down the pike tells you, your kid is bright. Okay? Now, but what are the, this is important, though. This is why the pediatricians are kind of, what are the cracks in the foundation, though? And there are two or three of them that are very important if you have little kids. Number one, if they were not particularly swift, in learning their letters, the names of the letters at three, four, five. You know, if letter naming acquisition was a little bit uneven, it's, a, it's an indicator. It doesn't mean to panic. Please, moms, dads are not panicking. They're going back to sleep. They're, it's not, it's, it's, a, it's a little indicator. It doesn't mean, oh, my God, but it's not, don't, do what the pediatrician's telling you either, just ignore it, you see? So if letter naming acquisition was a little on the weak side, eh, have a little bit of a sign that that could be an indicator. You with me? Two, related to that, if they have trouble with the associated sounds. So not, I'm not talking about reading right now. Mind you, I'm not talking about reading. I'm talking about just letter naming not the alphabet song. Kids all can sing the alphabet song in order, but that's not what I'm saying. You give a kid a random letter, lowercase, show him an H, he goes, um, uh, what is that again? Oh, yeah, it's an uh, an H. Well, that's not very good. You want letters by four or five to be automatic, just like two plus two. You're not thinking, let me get my calculator out, and I'll figure it out. Let me count it up. It should be like that. Okay? So letter names, letter sounds. And third indicator, and I'll entertain a couple questions, is they tend not to be very great with sound game practice, like sound manipul play. I'll give you an example. A cl- it's called phonemic awareness. So write that down. I, I try to stay away from the jargon, but phonemic awareness is one of these things that's being floated around these days. Phonemic awareness is an awareness of sounds and how sounds play out in, in language. One of the earliest researchers, her, she was great, her name was Lieberman, Isabel Lieberman. Um, she'd put down three different cubes, and say, or different cubes in front of a kid, and say, well, how many sounds do you hear in the word cat? Show me with the cubes. Three. Well, 60% of the population does that pretty well, naturally, at four or five. They get, the, they get it. 
but there's that 30 or 40% that doesn't get it so well. Those kids have risk. You understand? Now, another indicator for those of you who are, I don't, Steve, maybe Steve was around, a couple others, they might remember the name game. Remember the name game song? Yes, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, we had the name game. Um, it was an ancient song. It was found in a tomb of Egyptian... Uh, it was an Egyptian tomb. It, yeah, it's an ancient song. You know, this, I present to a lot of young moms, and they're like, what is that? You know, I, I also teach at St. Joe's, and they're like, these young teachers are like, what is he talking about? <laughs> Why don't you go back into a hole, man? Go back into your hole. Um, we take that song for granted. You know, um, Julia, Julia, Bo, Bulia, Fee, Fi, Fo, Fulia. You know, you're playing with sounds. 30% of the population sits and go, Julia, Julia, Fo, Fulia, what are they talking about? Huh? I don't get this. What? Hey, where's the name? The, the, the names I triggered my mind. The names that were going around the sign-up sheet. Is it? First part? Oh, thanks. You know, so that's called phonemic awareness. It's a great live example of what I'm talking about. Put those three things together, letter naming, sound awareness, sound, sound awareness with letters, and sound phonemic awareness, those kids are at risk. Those kids are at risk for early reading problems. Those kids are at risk for later becoming shutdown learners. You see what I'm saying? You follow the, where this is going? What does it argue you do <clears throat> it, for, at preschool and kindergarten? What's it arguing that you should choose? Panic, of course. Get on your husband second. Panic and get on your, you know. Um, well, you may argue with Devine. As a parent, follow your instincts. Meaning? If you really feel that there is something going on, then if the system's not going to help you, then right. you have to go Right. We tend, because I know it costs money and everything else, I understand. Trust me, I understand. But if you sit around waiting for the school to tell you, you could be waiting literally to fourth grade, third grade, fourth grade. And even then, a lot of these kids, the majority of my shutdown learner kids, hear this. This is very important. The majority are not eligible for even being classified. Yes, a tremendous number of them are in the gray zone where they're not bad enough. I had a great argument on Friday. I was actually on a deposition, it was a lot of fun. You know, the lawyer tried to make me out to be like a totally discredible human being. You know, like, the, you know, the lawyer, the argument in the school was the kid's average. And my argument was the kid wasn't. We were arguing over this narrow point of the bell-shaped curve. So the argument was the school had the kid at like the 28th percentile, and I had the kid at, say, the 24th percentile. Fundamentally, they're not different places. But there was an argument that the 28th was really average. The vast majority of kids that I'm talking about who have these little cracks are not classifiable kids. There are some that are. But don't wait around. Question, I know I'm revving you up, I can tell. Don't get too <laughs> revved up. Don't get too revved up. Simmer it down a little bit. But just... Um, now, hindsight is 2020. Well, that's why we're going through the lifespan. So don't get, also, don't beat yourself up. Don't beat yourself up. No, don't beat yourself up. I mean, this is very, you look, I mean, I ignored stuff with my own kids. I mean, I, you know, we all do it. We, we all, you know, you, you think my, my, we all, 
by the way, no one gets out unscathed in our own way. We all struggle with our own kids' development. I mean, no one. I mean, like math, organization, you know, whatever comes. There's lots of issues. At what what point... You're Lisa, right? No. At what point do you want to start seeing them? Like, you know, I've had inklings forever. Call me now. We'll go go down to my office right now. But, like, at what point when when you know... Lisa, it's it's a good question. Mm -hmm. My two-year-old, I know you don't want to hear... You know, I I had inklings. At what point do you say, well, too long? At two and three in the young, young, young kids, you're primarily interested in their language and motor development. It's not as common an age to call Rich Selznick with somebody like me. You follow? I, I mean, I've tested three-year-olds, but I'm, it's not really my thing. Four, I, I like to test four-year-olds. I would probably go to either a, a developmental pediatrician, and there are some good ones, but understand, folks, I mean, I, they, you know, a lot of this is expensive and out-of-pocket. So, but I, I'm giving you an ideal world. I don't want to talk money here today. Developmental pediatricians... I would talk to my pediatrician about the language development. They Often you need to contact a good speech and language development person. I might go to a good OT person. I don't want to do it today, but you can always call me. I can give you referrals. Yeah, in general. Um, speech and language is a very, very important domain of two and three to be considering. You don't want to sit on language development issues. At... Um, and occupational therapy, possible physical therapy, those kinds of skills. That, but the schools also may provide you with, um, you know, it's, I don't like the label of it, preschool handicap. They're mandated to provide services at three, I think, if your child is delayed. I think it's three, isn't it? Is it? So early intervention. So take advantage of it. You're, you're going to get your, in some ways, I shouldn't say this on, on the record, um, you're going to get very good service at the preschool level because they do want, you know, they do, they, the standard, I think, is a little lower bar in terms of classifying and getting a child into, this, into the system. Often those children are declassified then at five years of age going forward. But try to take advantage of the services that the school has, and they tend to be very good. Think of it, though, like you're working various ends against the middle. You know, if you've got the preschool handicap service and you're getting a little OT in school, I might not just sit on that if the kid is in the moderate zone. I might pull an outside person in as well. So you've got now three different components working. Um, certainly you've talked about OT and speech, and that's pretty recognizable. Let's say you have someone four, five, um, can't remember. You always try to teach them your home phone number, your address, things of that, which, which go more to some of the reading issues. Right. And, the more subtle, but you're tracking that you think there may be a problem. Who would you go to at that point? Because that's not really within those. Yeah, domains. that might you might then go to a psychologist such as myself at that point. I think you one of the things about a psychologist, like I tend to think of myself as um, more the center part of the of the wheel, the hub. Like I'm not vested in oh, is it a vision problem or is it an auditory problem? Is it a language? Like I'm really kind of touching base in a number of different areas, and then saying to you, you know, look, it does look like you've got some motor issues here. Why don't you contact this OT? Or it does look like you have some uh, letter naming problems. Why don't you come in for our summer reading program and start the rookie reader? You know, we have it in the past. You know, start getting services for for early because those you're Jennifer, right? Oh, Stacy, right. Okay. Okay, Stacy. 
Jennifer is right there. Um, what's your last name, Stace? Right. Um, you're, what you're saying, Stacy, is an important indicator, though. It's a red flag. Think of this stuff as red flags, as red flags for early reading de development issues. That those are those indicators, again, like I only mentioned the top two or three, but there are others, like Stacy's mentioning, that are like, uh-oh, let's uh, consider this. This may be an issue. Don't panic, but don't be, you know, and I'm going to give you some good reading to do, beside, of course, the shutdown order. I mean, you know, there's other places for you to, to read to help you with that. I had been told um, long ago that those younger ages was too young to diagnose children. That, especially for ADD, ADHD, it was too young until they developed a little more in that second grade age before you went to get any. It's testing. a great question, Donna. That's all, right? It's a great question about the age of diagnosing. I'm not the biggest fan of, in a sense, diagnosing. I'm really talking about describing a profile of strengths and weaknesses. At any age, those could be done. That the, the younger the age, the less definitive I'm going to be, if you see what I'm saying. If I, if I test a four-year-old and they're showing some of these indicators, I might say to the mom, look, there are indicators here. Let's watch them closely. He could kind of grow out of this, but let's watch closely. But at least you have a sense of the, of the indicators. If the driving question, though, it's, see, I think it's the wrong question. Does he have ADHD? See, I don't even like necessarily at that age the question. I would just no, I know you mean, but that's. But I think that's all. That's almost always what the driving question is. I'm trying to shift you to ask the question differently. The question should be: Here's a great thing to write down. The question should be: This is going to really help you. At, I don't care what age or stage your child is in, preschool through college. I'm thinking about it for my own kid right now, who's going off to college next semester. Is the child good to go? Think about it. Is he good to go? I mean, a lot of this is common sense, but I, but I like to put it in those terms because they're the terms I'm thinking about as a professional that we're so jargon-filled out there with this stuff that, you know, you need to put into some, is the child good to go? And in, you, you may not, as a mom... But you have a pretty good sense of what I'm talking about. Most educated people do. Are their reading skills intact? Are their writing skills intact? Depending on the age and stage. You know, my child going off to college, I know where he's not good to go. <laughs> Just go into his basement and look at his room. <gasps> my wife would say the same thing about me at this point. So, you know, like, you know, look at him. What do you think? You know, what do you think? Uh, you know, pot calling the kettle that one. Obviously, you can profile kids, and within profiles, there's different spectrums of severity. But what about the children that are are resistant to learning? Maybe don't have a clearly characterized problem, but it's just the frustration of learning something new and kind of shut down because it's hard. But then you see over time they can master. God bless. Thank you. Yeah, I totally understand. By and large, well, I mean, I think that you have to, again, as a mom, know your kid. Start with that as a premise. You kind of know the style. You know those kids that are like the late everything. You know, he was the last one to talk, the last one to bike ride. You know, that kind of kid. And then they, they're not confident. They don't take the step till they're really ready to take the step. They're, that's a little different. 
those are personality kind. Of, they don't have things in their profile that are necessarily cracks in the foundation that are holding them back. That's a little bit more of a personality style, insecurity. But more often than not, the people that are avoidant of moving forward in certain skill domains have reasons, you know, that have, have very, very real reasons, you know? have no way of knowing or understanding that, and then by the time they do, I know. they're in that, they're seven, eight, nine. My, my single, you know. the thing I try to do, it's really evolved, you know, you, you look back on yourself, as I'm sure all of you do in your own professions, and you say, why the person I was at 25 or 30, now and whatever I am, how many years out as a professional, but I realize how much more now I spend really trying to educate parents, mm-hmm. like, because I do think that in some ways, getting them on board as much as possible with these issues is really what has to be done because too often they feel like, you know, and I understand the school's feeling about it. It's a mixed, we want the parents to, well, let us do our work. You know, it's like that kind of mixed message that can, that can occur. You know, it's very hard to have parents nosing around your room. Like, so any of us having somebody (laughs) watching us every day, well, you didn't do that right. Why should you pick up your hand? You didn't say this to my child and you should have. So, Hates they're yeah, you know, you parents, and this is where moms can get a little bit wacky. Wacky. W, is it W-H-A-C-K-Y or is it W-A-C-K-Y? I'm not sure. Moms get a little wacky. You know, when they come into my office, they walk out like, you know, charging up a hill, charging up a hill, and it's like, slow down, calm down. You've got to really try to balance it. And a lot of what I'm talking about in this book is really breathing deep and meditating, to believe it or not. And we'll talk about it in a few minutes. Try to get perspective, and I think another, beside the good-to-go question that is really helpful, the good-to-go, is my child good-to-go, and what do I need to do about it? Ask that. What's sensible? What do I need to do about it? Now, this is really important. If you're worried about reading, then guess what help you should get? Reading. The problem with this profession, crazy as it is, because it's gotten crazier, is that there are all kinds of wacky, wacky again, alternative therapies out there. If you came to me and said, you know what, I really want to play tennis, what's your advice? And I said to you, well, why don't you go swimming for the next year? <laughs> well, that's great. That's great advice, because I'm going to be in such good shape. I'll be a better tennis player. Uh, yeah, well, I don't know. You're going to spend a waste of a year swimming because you want to be a tennis player? Really? Well, if I tell you to walk a balance beam for the next year to learn how to read, does that make sense? No. So when you're asking the good-to-go question, get, this is, write this in big, big, big letters. Get clear on the skill that you are deciding is not good to go. And in each age and stage, that changes. So you have to get clear on the skill. In the early stages, the biggest skill hurdle, moving this little kid forward a little bit, the biggest skill hurdle in first grade, second and third grade is what? Well, let's even define that better. It's not just reading. What would we define it better? 
Mm-mm. I, I'm glad you said it. Comprehension, this is my, I know schools go crazy when I say this. They want to start throwing tomatoes at my head and eggs at me. And, you know, he's, he's back, you know, put him back in his coffin. He's back out again, you know. The vampire <laughs> is back with us. He's back among us. What's the, I, I was worried about one skill domain with my children, and it wasn't toilet training. Reading, it's tied into reading. Decoding, phonics. When you can't decode, you're destined to a life of struggling. If This is what the fundamental core de deficit is with a reading disability. Listen to this. Decoding is phonics, the ability to, to look at a word automatically. When you see a word like porcupine or a name like Selznick, which isn't all that difficult. When I got people calling my house going, is Mr. Sleznak there? I'm like, oh. Dude, you got a phonics problem, call, <laughs> go straighten it out. Your name's, the name's not that hard. S-E-L-Z is in regular pattern, so is N-I-C-K. So two little regular syllables put together, if you have a problem reading it, then you probably have a decoding deficiency. If you have a decoding deficiency, you probably have it at first grade, second, and third grade. And it is a persistent problem that doesn't go anywhere, and it could really... Uh, this is the core, from my point of view, of well, a lot of what we're talking about here with the shutdown learner. That many of these kids, many, had decoding problems that were not sufficiently addressed. And that became the major indicator in the early elementary schools. They're tough to overcome. But that's the hurdle. If, you're, if you have a little kid, you want him... On, think of it like this. This is a good imagery for you. I, I have it in the book. Teacher's like, okay, kids, everybody on their bikes. You're in second grade. Everybody on their bikes. 70% gets on the bike. We're riding along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're riding bikes. Fine. No problem. 30% of them. Mm, oh, we have to ride the bike again. Oh, my God. I hate riding bikes. I get on the bike. I fall off the bike. I go on the bike. I go three steps. I fall off the bike. I'm wobbly. I'm not confident riding. I'm a lousy bike rider. I'm exposed again. Now, how do you think that person feels every single day? Every day of their lives, that's what they're going through in school, I think, in my impression. I might be slightly dramatic, but not by much for those kids. And the core, it blocks you in arithmetic because most of mathematics these days are word problems. They've turned math into a higher order reasoning thing. You can't read social studies. You can't read the worksheets that they're throwing at. I get these kids. I had this mom in the other day. Oh, my God, this poor, this kid, this poor little kid, a stack of worksheets that this kid, F, 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 he's seven, eight years old. Like, that's not an indicator? You know, I sit there, my blood goes up. I mean, I can't help it. Are, are you seeing more of this now than you were when the teaching styles were different? Not necessarily. And it's tempting to think that. I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, I think that it's always been the case, the question about it, am I seeing more of it the, the question that... The fact of the matter is the 70%, the lucky among us who can decode and kind of walk into kindergarten, first, second grade, you could have given them almost anything and they kind of flew. Those kids kind of moved through the curriculum. And it's always been a struggle. We have never resolved as a society how to manage and address that 30% factor, you know? That's been an ongoing struggle. And since, of course, every child is different and right. every child has a different description of who they are and what fits what mold. Um, K 
can you have the converse of the child who can read impeccably, read beautifully, but then comprehension is... That's... I have, an, I have another... Um, I have another um, scientific explanation. I know it gets slightly confusing, but guess how many reading problems there are in my mind? No, see, I, I think there are two, two different types. Guess what I call them? Type 1 and type 2. So we have type 1 reading problems, and I, I know it's in here somewhere. Um, here we go. Um, I'm zero, I feel like I'm zeroing in on it. Type 1 reading problems are, um, I know it's not that big a book, but <laughs> it's a great question, Donna. Type 1 reading problems, here we go, page 41, top of 41. Type 1 are on the left side that we've been just talking about, decoding problems, reading fluency. Now listen, this is also important. You, your kid may seem to have decent phonics because when you listen to them read out loud, and if they're reading like this in a kind of, these ch children are a great source of frustration to... <sighs> the oxygen is leaving the room, gang. They are... Light bulb is dimming as they read, and the problem is they're reading to themselves silently. I'm not saying that's a problem. That's what they do. But guess what? They're not connecting to the text. Those are still type 1 problems, even though they're reading relatively accurately. They're reading slowly and disfluently. That's a huge issue for the type 1 style. Um, on that type 1, you can, I mean, you don't want personal experiences. You can have someone who has true decoding issues, a lot of fluency problems, but scores very high on comprehension. Correct. And then Correct. would still be classified as a type 1 well, first of all, let me, let me clarify this type 1 business. <laughs> let me make sure you're, you're clear. Outside of Rich Selznick's head, this doesn't exist. This is not the school. If you say, oh, he's got a type 1 problem, they're kind of like, what are you talking about? You know, this is, doesn't exist. But, so, but I'm just, this is a model for you to think about. So you have a one type of reading problem, phonics, fluency, strained reading. Second type, Donna's type. They read like this. Oh, I've got a picture of it. Here's the little girl, the Eskimo. Look at this, page 31. She's a type 2. If I said to, if I said, they're both reading a book called The Eskimo's Challenge. In Kid A's head, he's got an image of igloos. He hasn't even started to read. If I said to you, we're going to read about Alaska, we, we, beside, uh, what's her face, Palin, we're, uh, we're thinking about, beside, beside her, we're thinking about, Igloos, Eskimos, snow, you have imagery, correct? But what about a kid who doesn't have imagery or is not that connected to it? That's that girl in that picture. She might read the words fine. You know, background knowledge and a base of factual information are also essential for skills for success in school. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, well, where do, you, where do the Eskimos go when they left uh, their town? Eskimos? Well, what do you mean Eskimos? That's type two. But here's the deal. This is important. The vast majority of kids that get ring people's bell for special ed and that land in special ed are type 1 reading problems. Because these other kids kind of get, there's not as many of them, frankly. There aren't as many of them. But they tend to be kind of overlooked. Did I answer you, Stace? Yeah. As the reading component becomes, you know, you're learning.
read in the early mm -hmm. primary grades, and then mm -hmm. it's more writing oriented. Yes, I'm going to get to that in a second. Yes, thank you. Sorry, I'm jumping. No, you're not. I'm glad you are because it shows you were kind of on, on the point. third grade level where the, you might have teachers say, I don't care as long as they're getting the content out yep. and they're being creative yes. and they're flowing. Yeah. What Let's, it looks like, the spelling, <laughs> the grammar. All right, we're going to talk about this in a second. Let, I'm, you're, you're revving me up. I like it. Good. Now, Donna, this is what I said before about get clear on your, what you're targeting. If you're tar if you, you, that's why it's important for you to know. When, it's not just saying I'm working on reading skills. No. Ask yourself, what type of reading am I intervening with? Is it going to be primarily decoding or reading fluency-based, which is more mechanical? That's, those are like the analogy of playing chords and scales. Or is it going to be really practicing music, which is really what comprehension and higher order thinking is like you've got that this you've got the mechanics down so when you say is my child good to go and if not what do i do get clear on am i targeting comprehension which is very hard to work on by the way folks comprehension is really tough or decoding which is easier although it could be really tough too but decoding is more mechanical Oh, absolutely. But if they're read to, they have some comprehension. Absolutely, and very much so. Um, the Jennifer, right? Bonnie. Bonnie. Where are you? Oh, there you are. Um, yes. Many of the kids can listen to a story well and understand it or go to the movies and give it back to you pretty well. So the comprehension really isn't the issue, frankly. If I have a kid who listens well, we call it listening comprehension. If I read a fourth grade story out loud to a kid and he gives it back to me, their listening comprehension skills tell me comprehension isn't where the issue lies. Remind me, Bonnie, toward the end to mention, if I forget, assistive technology for the older kids with that in mind. Okay, if you could remember. Let's move the kids up a little bit. Let's move the kids up a little bit. So look at the top of page two, the top left. So the early weaknesses do not mean the child is destined to become an SDL, a shutdown learner. However, these signs are indicators. So the indicators are red flags, put the child in a higher risk category. Now, let's talk about the middle to upper grades. Stacy just mentioned writing. How do you think our kid feels about writing? <sighs> All right, kid, here's Susie. Okay, now, all right, kids, I want you to write about your weekend. Just write what you remember. And little Susie, oh, good, I can write about my weekend. And she starts to write and do all the things that little Susie does. You know, she puts a little, you know how girls do that stuff. They put the little circles in the hearts above the eyes, and they dot their periods <laughs> look really, you know, flowing, and they do all that stuff. And, and they hand it in about 10 minutes ago. Here it is. You know, and it's nicely done. It puts up on the wall. And our little hero or heroine's going, The Weekend. Oh, my God. Susie's finished her paper. I'm just thinking about The Weekend. What do I write about? I don't know how to write. Um, I hate writing. All right, The Weekend. I know how to spell the, I think. T-H-E. All right, good. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating a lot. Weekend, weekend, I'm only, I'm only scratching the surface on this. W, K. No, there's got to be something in there between the W and the K. 
I know the teacher said, don't worry about spelling, but it really looks stupid writing W-K-N-D, weekend. That's kind of a bad way to write weekend. All right, I, I beat up my brother. Do I write about that? No. <laughs> I don't remember what else we did. Okay, pen, pens down. Now time is up. Um, oh, you were doing what? What were you doing? You were? No, 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 no. Daydreaming. Once again, little Donna. You were daydreaming. And, you know, I really think you should be on medication. I, the teacher wouldn't say that to you, but, you know, they do want to pull your mom off to the side and say, I, I, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a physician, but I really think you should see one of those. And, um, take, right. No, one of two things. One of two things. One, one, you're going to stay in during recess because you fooled around or two, two, take it home for homework. Now I'm not letting all kids off the hook there. Trust me. Listen, I understand kids fool around. I understand there are kids that goof off. I understand the kids that need to be nailed. I'm not saying it's all the little boobies, you know, they're all, but a significant number of these kids, frankly, and I've seen this as an epidemic. I am seeing this for the boys in particular. I could, we could talk about why. I don't want to get too far. Having tremendous difficulty with written expression. Particularly, you might want to write this down, open-ended writing. Open-ended writing, meaning write about your weekend. If I ask you to write about your weekend, there are a thousand possible points. You could write about the nap you took. It might seem silly, but you could. It's one paragraph. This gets me even more crazy. I could go on forever on this one. Writing as an output. Mel Levine talked about this, the biggest names in the field. Writing as an output is the single, not above math, which for me was a killer. Writing is the single most difficult process for a child or a human to do. Why? Could anybody answer that? Go ahead. All, Give us some examples. That, the writing, the fine motor skills, right. to the comprehension. Turn over your paper for a second on the back sheet. I'm doing thinking. Right, fine motor skills. What else, Donna? Keep going. Comprehension. Comprehension okay. meaning what? Meaning comprehension like comprehension of what the question asks you to. Yeah, do. understanding the question. What did I do in the weekend? What else? Spelling, grammar, Sp mechanic. Visual memory, ordering of words. Ordering of words, absolutely. Remembering um, how to sequence things. That's it's right. heavily loading on what's called. I, I had a revelation where I listened to Mel Levine talk about this. It was like the light bulb in my head. I've been seeing these kids for years, and I never really understood until, the, until he said it like this. He said, writing is heavily loading on active working memory. Absolutely. And active working memory, just for you, so we make it non-jargony, is kind of like computer memory, juggling memory. You know, like you're... RAM memory, where you're able to do a few things simultaneously. Analyze when you go to try it at home. Write about your weekend. Think how much is loading. If you don't have great active working memory, it's like tapping into a battery that's kind of depleted, you know? So you're already kind of going, oh, I hate this SH, you know, crap. I mean, they might not be saying it that angrily at that point, but they're kind of like going, oh. And how could they not be on? So the writing becomes their killer. And writing has become in school one of the, we bow down to it as the process that leads to the road to riches. But for our kids that we're concerned about, it's, it's a core. 
core weakness, and it becomes really exposed in fourth grade. You should see the samples. I, I get coming in when the parents bring in the samples. Or the ones like, I should have brought in some to show you. I didn't think about doing that. But it's like, I'm sure you don't need to show you. You probably see it all the time anyway. So this, bec- now, mind you, often the reading fluency problems are still there. I'm, I'm saying writing is now an issue, and I don't want to depress you. Please don't get depressed. I'm not here to depress you. I'm just reality-based. So by fourth, fifth grade, the kid's still reading in a strained way. But the written output becomes, um, you know, painful. Look at that point, upper, you know, kind of right slide there. And what's happening in the home? Now fourth, fifth, sixth grade. Now what's happening if you have a spouse... What's going on between you and your spouse? If you don't have one, you might have an ex or whatever, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of blaming, kind of finger-pointing. You know, you, you should do it my way, you should do it your way. I, and I cover that a lot in here, the, the strained patterns of family communication. A big push in the SDL is not just the skill thing. It's the family systems and the emotional issues that are happening because you're getting what? What are you feeling as a mom? Frustrated, depleted, stressed. What else, really? Underneath it all. Yeah, but underneath all of it is what? Fear. You're scared. You're scared. And you don't know. And it's not. And I, I, look, even I'm an expert in the field. I'm not going to have the answer. There is no the answer. But at least if you could peel it off and kind of back up a little bit, that's the point here. So you get the emotional energy becomes depleted over time. There's a lot more a sense of the kid not trying a little bit more, you know? So here are the emotional indicators. Lowered motivation then. Um, you know, a little more evasive about the task. I have a friend of mine tell me his, his kids lie a lot these days. You know, oh, did you do it? Yeah, I did it, Mom. I did it, Mom. There's a, I, there's a picture, my favorite picture, I think, of the whole book is on page 42. My, I showed it to my wife, and she's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I know that one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It strikes me, you know, it's interesting that Donna, who did a wonderful job with the kids in the uh, choir here, I would imagine, because Donna would, couldn't help, even though you're doing a lot of visual, you know, imagery when you're directing people, I would imagine as well that so much of it, you would see kids in a, an array that when you're giving, a, okay, kids, I know everybody that starts it, and you see a couple of kids just delaying their processing, where they have cognitive speed issues. You might want to put that down. Cognitive tempo issues. I see that all the time. Cognitive tempo. It's sort of like, who says that it's supposed to be done in 10 minutes? But that's what we have. You know, you have to, this is, I know how hard it is, but you have to try to advocate for the teacher and say to the teacher, look, this kid is working hard, but they're working at a pace. 
That is, I have kids in my office. I swear to God, I'm checking my email. I'm watching my portfolio go out the tubes. You know, I'm having to do it. Uh, you know, I'm going on a computer because I have nothing else to do. While they're kind of plodding away, I'm like, oh my god, it's gonna. Because it's just, I'm joking, but it's it's slow. Ross. They're getting it, but it's slow, right? But See, because of the ramifications of what you have to do within a classroom, the more and more it gets unnoticed, and little yeah. Johnny just doesn't care, and yeah. he just was daydreaming, then that child begins to shut down. Because then that is a very tedious, daunting, terrifying task. Let's look at, and I want to move because I, I'm... Con- I'm conscious of time, but I'm not. I'm not anxious to move you along. I'm a fine, but I want to move. I want to also kind of take you through this, and and I want to leave you on positive notes and things that you can then do. I don't want to leave you like oh, at the bottom of the valley here. Um, the fourth grade moves into middle school and high school. You know where this is going. I don't have to belabor that point. High school is very hard because of the changing of classes. It is very difficult for a lot of these kids. They have different style teachers. Some of them are very curriculum based. It could be challenging. The, the writing issues and the organization issues can be really huge. Now, we have a wonderful program that we offer in the summertime called Visual Leap that can really help with if you have older kids who are sort of, and older, I'm saying like 10 and up. It doesn't even have to be high school. 10 and up. Who We have a program as computer-based. We train the child to pre, when you have to do a writing, you're going to, train the child to think in more visual terms so that when the writing task is open-ended, they've already kind of mapped it out. That's really helpful. It's like a pre-stage writing program that gets them kind of, and we gave, we gave it last summer to 10-year-olds on through college, and everyone really liked it. They take the software home with them, and the more they do it, the more, the more, you know, Faith, Faith's daughter did it, actually, Faith daughter. We haven't, you know, you try to do what you can. You know, it's hard. It's, we're not, you know, you, you have limitations with that kind of thing. But that's one thing. The other thing I was going to answer before, when your child is older, this is where assistive technology, and this is going back to you, plays a role. There's a wonderful program, and don't go buying it. I would, It's too expensive to go doing it, called Kurzweil 3000. Steve might have heard of it. Kurtz, K-U-R-Z-W-E-I-L, Kurzweil 3000. If your child doesn't read very well, K-U-R-Z-W-E-I-L, Kurzweil 3000. K- sorry? Sorry, K-U, I'm sorry, my New York rapid language thing. I always think I'm talking too slowly, and it never is the case. K-U-R-Z-W-E-I-L, Kurzweil. Kurzweil is sort of the 21st century version of books on tape. You know, so it's book on computer. And I have a wonderful article in my center. Email me, I'll get it right over to you on college students who are using the Kurzweil. They bring their laptop to Starbucks. They got the iPod headphones, and they're reading on the computer. It's wonderful. It's like giving a dyslexic or a reading disabled person, whoa, I can read today. It's great, but it's expensive. But I would also recommend that if you do it, that you have somebody, we have a person who comes into our center when, on a case-by-case basis to do, let's say, four sessions with your child, because what happens with assistive technology, I'm sure Steve could see this, you give a kid software, and you don't train them in it, they don't use it. you got to get them up and running with it. 
Yes. It's, yes. Often they come as e-files. E you know, they kind of, you can access them as e-files. Yeah. But also the worst case scenario, a mom would have to scan it in. Page, that's a little bit of a hassle, but at least you, that's how it works. Yes, Dragon is a second one. I use it for dictating my own loathsome psychology reports. You know, Dragon, naturally speaking, is basically a software where instead of having to type or write, you dictate and the computer starts to, you know, transcribe your, your talking. The problem there is kids younger than 15 are not very comfortable dictating. I'm really good at it because I have done it for so many years. Dictating, but you could do it as kind of a. All right, let me talk about my weekend. I went to the zoo. Da, 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 and it's typing it out. And then they have a start. Yeah, they have a start. Then you can kind of map it out and help a kid. So yeah, yeah, I can help you with that. I can show. You. But again, again, you want to train the child in it. Don't just go and do it. Any those are the top two assistive technology devices I would be thinking about. Kurzweil. And Dragon. And then the third, which is not assistive technology, but it's a program, that visual leap, which we offer in the summertime. All right, let, let's look at, and before I now take you out of the valley, the bottom left, here's my, here's my, uh, this is my mathematic formula. Since I'm such a high-level math person, this is, I, I was really impressed I even have a formula. But here's my formula. Now, and think about this formula. Now that we've talked about it, because once we go through it, you can say, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And it, it kind of puts it into a, where do I intervene? So the formula for becoming an SDL are, one, cracks in the foundation are there, four, five, six, plus time. Time goes by, These, you know, just like your house. I didn't deal with the cracks then, they're still there. They don't go away. They're getting what? Wider, usually. So plus time. Often a lack of understanding. You know, the parent thinks that the kid's not trying. The teacher thinks the kid's not. So there's a lack of understanding. Widening skill deficits. They're not getting any better. They're getting tougher. Plus, now emotional factors are kind of kicking in. I'm insecure. I don't like school. Um, now my parents are yelling at me more. There's, you know, there's a lot more tension in the family. And now I'm 15, and now I'm basically an SDL. That's the kind of form. So you can kind of see it sort of, now that we've gone through it, how it maps out, okay? So the point, obviously, is the earlier you can intervene, the better, and get clear on what you want to intervene with. Now, I want to give you the top points about, and then we can entertain any questions. All right, top ten essential points. No, not, before I get to the top ten, what to do. We talked about ask good-to-go questions. In the book, the first thing I mentioned is, you know what it's the most important thing to do? not even to tutor the kid, not even to get him reading help, is to understand him. Put that down in big, big letters. Try to be understanding. That doesn't mean soft. Try to be patient. This is what I med said before about the meditating and back. Try to be, you know, I know school is tough for you, hon. I know you're very smart, but you have trouble with writing. We're going to work on that. You could be real with these kids. They'll like it. I try, you'll see it in the book, I call it the million dollar challenge. I try hard, not through phony parental, oh, you're so good at baseball. Well, no, I struck out three times, Mom, what are you talking about? You know, um, don't do phony parental cheerleading, but you know what? 
You're really good with art. You're really good with drawing. You do a great job with putting things together. Your reading eh, is not so great. Your writing's not so great. That's why you're struggling, but we're going to work on that. Oh, you're right, Mom. Your organizational skills are not so Label it. Understand the kid, okay? Step one. Get the kid to fully connect with and embrace his strength. That's not so easy. We, we pay lip service to it. I don't, but I can get it to you. Um, I should put it in there. There were some of these that kind of came about. Some of these I've already said, but I'm going to read. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to run through these, and, and then I can get them over to you. You know you know what, on, on here, you know where they appear? Some of these, if you go on the website, Shutdown Learner, there's a, there's a section there that shows, that has it. Shutdownlearner.com, it has um, a kind of a media release packet that has these, the 10 essential points. So some of these I've already said, but I'm going to run through them, and we'll open it up to you guys as much as we can. One, we know identify the cracks in the foundation as early as possible. So, you know, find a professional who knows the red flags. You know, a lot of heartache can be avoided if you address the skills early, you know? Two, if you're worried as a mom, there's usually good reasons. Trust your mom gut. Ignore your husband, trust your mom gut. If the cracks, now, yeah, well, I don't care. If the cracks are widening, seek outside help as early as possible. Don't be passive and wait for the schools to intervene. You know, you know why now. They're not, their model is going to be based on a huge discrepancy that may not be there. Um, four, know what you're targeting. We talked about that. There are essentially two types of reading problems. You know, get clear on what you're going to be, don't scatter, on targeting, don't scatter shot your interventions. Watch wacky therapies. You know, if you want to practice a kid going on a balance beam, then great. If you want the kid to balance beam walk better, then find him balance beam therapy. If you want it to be jumping up and down better, then practice jumping up and down therapy. That's just my opinion. I know some people really, really take exception with that. Because they believe that you're training the whole brain to do all these different things. I, you know, I believe in targeted skill intervention. You want to practice writing skills? Practice good writing instruction. You see? And then, the, then these other things. Five, a big one. Take the heat out of the interaction. We're yelling at our kids. Uh, look, I did it. We do it in our house. My wife, we've all gotten there. Most of the struggling kids, the daily ritual of yelling about school was a constant. The households are tense as a result. Lots of blame going around. Um, pecking at your kid, nagging. When was the last time you pecked at your kid to death and he said, you know what, Mom? Thanks for telling me that. You're right. I agree. Thank you for bringing that little bit of wisdom to my head. You know, thanks for yelling at me because now I've, I've seen the bloody light, Mother. Thank you very much. When did that happen? Did uh, Oh. Oh, they saw the light on Friday, did they? No, no. They didn't no. see the light we nag. Right. Oh, we nag every day. Were you kidding me? The nagging goes on. It's a daily ritual of nagging, cajoling, yelling. Blah, blah, blah. And there's a lot of reactivity. This is where the meditation, I'm, I do this a lot. You know, try to not be as reactive. Try to be a little bit, you know, back up. 
talking slower. I find the women sometimes have a little harder time with this. I don't know, talking in slower tones, lower tones. It doesn't have to be, you're not talking like Rich Selzing, just talking slower, lower. <laughs> you know, school is a hard place. We'll get through it, you know. It's all in there, okay? Um, six, if you have a spouse, get your husband on board. Dads can be tough. You know, dads, tend, we tend to, the, the men tend to be, you know, ah, you're making a big deal, you know, eh. You know, that te- that's a tendency. Um, you know, they often don't see the problem. I don't know why. I mean, men, you know, are a little bit more removed from it, I think. Um, it leads to more confusion, arguing. You know, it could, I had a mom tell me a while ago, we don't argue about sex. We, don't argue, about we argue about school. I'm like, oh, school can really create a wedge in people's lives. It's amazing. My, the pediatrician who wrote in the, the forward, he's the head of my pediatric department, He's a great pediatrician. He takes the opposite view of what we're talking, you know, the pediatrician thing we talked about, Dr. Sharar. And he talks about how learning problems are health issues in families. These are real health issues because it's affecting the family health. A reading problem, a writing problem affects your resources, your tone of your lives. You get depleted. I mean, I'm not kidding when I say moms are depleted. I mean, you got people beleaguered by this stuff. It can really drain you. So if you have the spouse, try to get them on board. If you're in a divorce situation, same thing, really. It's, it's not easy because if, if you were kind of agreeing, you wouldn't be in different houses. But try to get the person on board. Maybe a third party is helpful, not for marriage counseling, obviously, but to say, look, this is a real thing. And the, if, you believe, if you undermine her by saying, oh, she's full of baloney, you know, she doesn't, you don't need that stupid tutoring. What do you think the kid's going to do? So, you know, get, try to get there with that. Um, next one, eight. Well, I said this. Eight, oh, seven. Did I miss seven? Sorry about that. Oh, that was a divorce situation. Wait. One was cracks in the foundation. Two, if your mom's worried. If your mom and worried. Three, the cracks are widening. Um, four, oh, know what you're targeting. Five, take the heat out of the interaction. Six, get organized. Six, <laughs> if you have a spouse, get your husband on board. Seven, if you're in a divorce situation, get it's more important to try to work it out together. Eight, I've said this. This is the essence of the whole book. Find the child's true strength and help him embrace it. How many of you had math problems as kids? That's it? No, no, nobody else had math problems around this table? Are you kidding me? Yeah. How many still have math problems? Most of us had them, you still have them. Mm-mm. No. I really think, in fact, I don't think I necessarily academically. I think that the kid, going back to the original premise of the shutdown learner kid, is that a lot of these kids are Lego kids, spatial, action-oriented. You know, my kid building these phenomenal terrariums. Wow. You're really great with that stuff. You know, there's a 30 different professions, 40 different professions that you can, you can do, but we have to get you through school in all kinds of ways. But, you're, you know, let's not get discouraged. School can grind it out of you, you see? But get the kid to feel like he's got something. What are you good at? You are good at something. It's a very, very, very rare kid. I'm telling you, a very rare kid that I've met, unless the kid's really severely handicapped, profoundly handicapped. That doesn't have a couple of good strengths that they can kind of understand better. So it's hard sometimes to, with school to 
fine. Does that answer? Sort of. Yeah. So the shut down learners I know don't feel very good about themselves and they don't see their strengths. And most of these kids are solid in the visual spatial domain. They're also very action oriented kids. These are kids that love to be where the action is a lot of times. So, you know, they're, they are the field hockey kids or the skateboardy kind of kids, that kind of thing. Nine. Very important. Especially from fourteen on up. The these kids, I, I wish we did this more naturally. I don't know why we can't do it. I remember I was a special ed teacher again when the dinosaurs roamed the earth. And there were a couple of kids that I took under my wings that I had a kind of relationship with. You know, I would walk around the building with them and I'd how are you doing today? And a guy would get a soda and we'd talk and I'd sit there. I was a young teacher, it came to me pretty natural, but I think I would still do it if I was teaching. They need mentoring. There's a great interview in here with Patrick Flanagan, who is a local photographer in this book. Patrick is, he read the book as an adult. And he said, again, I never anticipated an adult having revelation reading this book, saying it changed his life when he read it as a Word document. There's a whole story to that. I don't, you can you read it, it's in here. But Patrick talked about when he was in high school, he felt like a loser. But he became kind of the guy that started to take some pictures. And a teacher took him off to the side and said, wow, Patrick, you're really good at that. What do you think changed his life? You need to try to encourage the school, to, if you can, especially if your kid's getting a little disconnected and discouraged. And this is to, to, to have somebody who's going to take a little bit of an active mentoring, take the kid under his or her wing. Where the schools, I think, go wrong with this, I'm not knocking, I think that they start to think 504 plans and, you know, like, it's got to be a school counselor or a psychologist. I'm not saying that. It could be, like, like, in the interview here with a woman named Helen, her kid is a classic. This kid is, like, ground zero. You'll read this interview on with Helen. Um, Alex is this kid's name. Alex loved going to the room where the cool teacher was, you know, during lunch. And he had the CDs and he listened to some music and they chatted a little bit about Alex's interest. It wasn't what I said, right? I'm just kidding. All right. It's that time. I get, I get you know, my neurotic stuff kicks in. I'm just kidding. <sighs> um, oh, you want? Oh, I did sign. Um, take care. If you have any questions, just give me a call. Get back. Um, Alex needed real mentoring, you know, and he still does. He's in high school now. He needs some, and I mean mentoring. He needs somebody who likes him. Sometimes these kids are very unlikable, frankly. Do you think these kids are often giving teacher-pleasing behavior? You'll see the cartoons in the books. These kids walk into classrooms. I've worked with a number of these kids, and they're hideous in the classroom, frankly. They don't think there's so much that they need to be coached on to try to light it up because they walk into class going like this. I mean, I've enjoyed this workshop with you guys because you've been pretty responsive. But if you looked at me like, like that, you know, like, it, it's horrible feeling as a speaker. A teacher's the same thing. Now, they can liven up their lessons, and you could certainly ask yourself, what can I do to make it better? But they're not comedians, and the kid can take responsibility for connecting in that classroom. But these kids do not often. So they walk into class giving, blah, and then no, it's a vicious cycle of not being liked. And then they have no one in the building who's really advocating for them. Or they get labeled as lazy. Or the labeled as lazy, or they're disconnected, or they're angry, whatever they're labeled as. Or they can be sitting like 
Right. I know. And, it, you know, I try to get kids, and I don't think I necessarily succeeded it. I try to get kids to be more aware. This is a great concept. You might want to write the, the line down. Take responsibility for your own learning. Try to get the kids to take responsibility at every age and stage for their own learning. So the kid walks in. It's so hard. But the kid walks into the classroom. He says, you know what? I remember Selznick said to me, don't put my head down. Uh, you know, now I'm not saying I succeed with it. I don't necessarily do with the kids. They don't walk out going, all right, Rich Solzik says. They, they walk into class doing the same old thing. But at least by degrees, if you can get them kind of thinking this way, then maybe they'll be less in adversity with that teacher. I mean, a lot of it's learning to get along. A lot of it's the, the social dynamics of school and classroom. But what about the teacher's part? I know. And, and what about, well, obviously, but what is wrong with the Kid who sits like this, yet is taking in everything, scoring well on tests, not well. You know, to the class. I don't know, Don. I mean, my theory on that would be my theory on my yeah. I do think it goes both ways. My theory on that would be that kids and we adults, you know, before you turn around, they're going to be out there in the world, and body language and how you come across and how you look and whether your hand is up or not. I mean, school the the underlying thing of school is not learning is societal and I you know this is what we're worried about will the kid get along in society and school is a place that it's sort of developed and I think a lot of it the kid needs their kids in this book I mean every one of these pictures I'm not kidding that there's probably not a picture in this book where I can't think about a kid in my head who I was who comes to mind and there's certain like classics there's one kid name is Donnie he's like you know he needed, we needed to get him connected. And it was very hard in the classroom. And I worked hard at it. And sometimes I succeeded, sometimes I didn't. But the body language counts. I do think the teachers should, and I think teachers should read the book too, obviously, to get them to understand it. But they tend to, oh, yeah, I knew that already anyway. But it would be helpful if the teacher was at least recognizing that with this population, here's the, underneath this all, is relationship building with these kids. What we're talking about underneath all of this is a relationship that is gets the kid a little more emotionally connected and charged because he's disconnected. That's what's happened. Think of it. Helen talks about it. My theory was that the air's leaking out of the tire, like it's a little puncture wound in the tire, and over time, that's that's that formula. You know, motivation leaking over time. She said no. It didn't happen that way. She said the air gushed out of the tire in first grade. I'm like. Oh, my God, really? And she, she was very clear about it. Gushed out of the time. First grade. Now, that kid needs connection. He's a pain in the rear end. Uh, trust me. He's not. I like the kid a lot. But he's he could be really a, a non-teacher pleasing behavior type kid. You know? Last one. And they'll open up to anything you want. Last one. Keep your humor. Keep laughing a little bit. You know? Don't. Here's the deal. Here's the, I'm going to leave you on this optimistic note. I've been in the business long enough to know the vast majority of the kids that I've sort of have known over time. I happened to me the other night. I ran to a woman in the restaurant. I kind of forgot who she was. I've seen thousands of kids. I always feel bad about that. She says, ah, oh, I know. Matthew, he's been great. And I knew Matthew to be like a hell on wheels, frankly. This kid was difficult with a capital D in, and when he was eight years old. If I would predict a kid not doing well now in high school or 
it would be him. But, you know, he's moving along. I have found most people find their way. So don't get too bogged down in the forest from the tree thing with the school. Kids, humans find their way with their strengths. College is, frankly, if you can get them through, a better place for a lot of these kids because, you know, my kid's not going to be majoring in Shakespeare. <laughs> he's going to be doing a lot of math science stuff. He's not going to be majoring in Shakespeare. I mean, he's not spending as much time with that. You find, so it's optimistic in that regard. But these kids are at risk, you know. These kids are at risk for disconnecting. They do gravitate sometimes to the other kids socially, which we didn't even talk about any of that stuff. Well, you know, a little bit more on the, you know, anti-school things. You have to be a little careful with that, you know. But it is optimistic in that regard. Isn't this um, also basically helping that 30, 40 percent of the kids that have learning issues or whatever the issues are that it gives them ways that they can actually work on their reading or their writing. Absolutely. It's it's not just, hey, they're, they're classified. Absolutely. And, and they don't need help. Every, you know, I, I have kids in sports that I work with and everything. I say 50% of them have some type of uh, issue that you have to deal with to get them to be motivated uh, when you need them. Absolutely. You know, I think of it as God's cruel joke. You know, basically seven different intelligences that exist, you know visual intelligence and verbal intelligence and music intelligence and athletic and social. Most of us have two that are working pretty well. Would you think about it? I know I got basically two. I got a couple that are sort of average and a couple that I'm trying to hide and not let you know that I've got that are not very good, but my wife knows. I've got. You know, so most of us, it's really almost all of us in that regard are shut down learner style people. If you think about it, most when I tell people about the book, they're like, oh, I was shut down. I was shut down. And they're, they're like doctors. I got my friend who went to Penn Dental School. Oh, I, was just, I can't stand reading. I'm like, I tested a medical doctor a while ago who's a bit dyslexic. And some years ago, I heard about a woman who took her kid, who read in Yale Law School, who went to, her, she, her kid was dyslexic. And she said, I don't care. I'm going to read everything to the kid. That was before Kurzweil and everything else. So we all kind of have this mixture of, of learning, strength, weakness. It's just that this profile is particularly challenging for the school arena, you see, whereas a lot of us can maybe, I hate to have my own uh, handwriting and stories shown, you know, to me back at this point when I was a kid. But, you know, most of us can reflect back on, oh, boy, it was hard for me too, but we got to the other side to the extent that we can. But there's a lot of pain that can be, you know, kind of, if you think about this stuff, try to, you know. You mentioned, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, sir. You mentioned math before, and um, that's something that I consider one of my major strengths. Right. But as I work with the kids today, um, I used to have to write, and it would take me five times as long as the kid next to me to write, as you mentioned in that uh, example of uh, the paper turned in. Right. I could write well, but it just took me forever to, to rearrange and sort. But I compensated because I was good at math by not having to spend a lot of time on the math, and I spent more time doing the writing. Now, math is writing. And to the point that these kids are, if they have a strength or a weakness, they're weak everywhere because the writing is everywhere. Not that it's not good to know that, but there's no way for them to have a break. 
you know, I'm going to end on this though because I see people we have to get going. But I think Stewart's point is great. They don't get a break, and this is why you need to be as understanding and supportive in some ways. And you know, I, I think that to the extent, to the extent that you don't. Here's the balance with this: you don't want to be doing it for the kids, but you may need. You'll see it in the book. The mom saying, you know, oh, the kids like, oh, I've got a mountain of work to do. I do with I. These kids see mountains in front of them. I helped a kid this week who's 21. He, what he wanted to do is get a job. A very smart kid. He wanted to write a resume. Think about this. I mean, do you know what task analysis is? Do you guys know what task analysis is in special ed? Basically, task analysis used to talk about, if we had to teach, and I'm not being facetious here, a retarded person to brush their teeth, we know the end result is brushing the teeth, but we don't. We forget as people that there are all these steps before that, like opening the cap and putting it on the. That there are these. So this kid is has severe organization and follow through problems, and I was basically saying to him, "Okay, your end point is to write a resume. Well, how, do you know how the steps involved? Uh, no, we we created fifteen steps from." You know, like sitting down at the computer, proofreading once, print out the resume, read it in heart. I mean, every little sub-step involved, and he had it written out so he can go down his list. And I think that in some ways that's what you have to do with these kids. And I think they're overwhelmed by all this stuff that Stuart's suggesting. So to the extent that you can break it down for them and try to not do it for them, but provide a little bit of that structure, it'll help. Gang, you guys have been great. I'm going to entertain any private questions up to the side. Um, it's been a lot of fun. I hope you got stuff out of this. Um, thank you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this Middle Chamber Books podcast. If you have comments or suggestions about our podcasts, please email me at steve at middlechamberbooks.com. You can also send us an audio comment. We'll use it in a future podcast. Send us an MP3 file or call our podcast comment line in the U.S. 856-861-6146. Be sure to use the plus one in front of that. Or in the U.K. and Europe, it's plus 44-020-7193-6146. Our theme music for this podcast is Cook the Books from the Indianapolis Jazz Orchestra. It's one of the pod-safe music selections you'll find at garageband.com. We produce these programs in the studios of professional podcasts in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. This is Steve Lubetkin. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you out there on the net. Take good care.